here on the side. Just consistent yeah. content, baby. Dude, Campbell you're just flowing. Back. I mean, I was, I was putting my four-year-old to sleep watching your live broadcast, just listening to you break down like the team's dynamics while the documentary is going on. And I was like, I'm watching the documentary. I have no idea what's happening, but I'm listening to like the greatest like inside info about these teams that are playing each other. <laughs> it's so good. Did you at least let your child listen to my voice as they fell asleep? Because yeah, um, that, it was so soothing. She fell asleep so much faster. She's like, Dad, can you have that as our like new noise machine? Ben, can, we, can, can you give us a bedtime story, bedtime story every night? Just talking yeah. about pickleball. I'm like, yeah, I just got to get Rob to pre-record. Like, Casey Patterson has such fast hands. Like, just all <laughs> things that like pump me up. <laughs> just subconsciously, they're just gonna think you're the best pickleball player in the world as they uh, wake up every day. Yes, Dad, yes. How are your hands so fast? Dad, how'd you get so good? A guy says you're so good. How are you so, so naturally athletic and gifted? <laughs> not in just not in one sport, but two sports, Dad. <laughs> but he's right. You should shave the beard. That's it's gross. Yes. I mean, let's look at that thing. Oh yeah, it's it's yeah. it's getting it's getting. I like I like to say it's kind of like a gnarly and kind of like a Neapolitan ice cream. We got a little vanilla, <laughs> white hair. We got a little like red because I have a little red hair, you know. And then it's yep. just got a little chocolate on in the middle, you know. It's all different colors. That's actually growing up. That was my favorite ice cream. I would, I would. Oh yeah. I wanted a little taste of the chocolate and strawberry. I didn't want a lot of it, but like a, just a little, a little dab of it with my vanilla, which everybody knows is my favorite. Yeah. It's perfect perfection. Just, just right? a slight mix up. But at the end of the, at the end of that uh, tub of ice cream, it would always be vanilla's <laughs> gone, quite a just bit of chocolate tro- left. And a little bit less strawberry left. <laughs> and then I just wouldn't be done with it because I don't want strawberry chocolate by itself. Oh, you just hand it off to your friend. Oh, thanks, bro. Yeah. Like, yeah, dude, yeah, here's no like a half gallon just for you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, lots oh, going on in the pickleball world. Just had the U.S. Open. Uh, so I don't know how much. Drama. How much did you follow? Did you, did you follow a lot? I mean, probably couldn't watched... follow it a lot because there wasn't very much to watch because there was no streaming. I mean, it was like a select few matches. A a rainstorm every 20 minutes, right? I mean, I felt like I was at one of our own Florida events where the firefighters just keep coming out and be like, all right, guys, hold on. The lightning's about two miles away. We got to hold. And we'd go hang out in like a parking garage and like wait for the lightning to go away and then like restart all the games. Just like a yo-yo effect. Yeah, I didn't get to watch a ton. That's Florida. I mean, it's crazy. April April in Florida is, man, it's going to rain. There's no, especially a tournament over... You know, a week, it's more than a week, maybe it's going to happen. But yeah. uh, regardless of that, there just wasn't very much uh, coverage in terms of streaming, which was really frustrating because um, I wanted to watch. I wanted to watch a lot of the matches and I don't think they started streaming until 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, and even then, like I, I would look at pickleballtournaments.com and the bracket would be almost over. Like they'd be either yeah. finished with a semi and already have a team in the gold medal match or they'd be like one semi away. Um, so yeah, it was, it was weird. It was weird. Cause I'm used to the APP streams and the PPA streams where they're, you know, they're starting at 8 AM Eastern or whenever the event starts and they're streaming throughout the day. And yeah, you don't yeah. get all the matches cause they just have one or two courts, but you get to, you get to see a lot more pickleball. That's for sure. So, um, I don't remember, I, I remember there was a stink of it last year. I was playing last year though. So I wasn't too concerned about watching obviously, but, um, it does feel like this is not a one-off thing that's happened and it's their streaming is always an issue and pissing a lot of people off with that. 
it's kind of scary because although you're like you in theory you're like oh we're gonna have access to way more matches outside of just gold medal matches or medal rounds right but the problem is is like okay you are covering more courts but then it is the quality seems to be harder to follow right and it's it's so infrequent and it's in and out and there's always like some issue with connection on a court that you want to watch or there's some weird delay and then they've panned over to somewhere else it's a little bit um, worrisome because the ABP, our pro tour has just decided to go from like an NBC live sports to strictly YouTube stream. Like we're doing mm. YouTube and that's it. And I think that's the first time we've ever had that in on our like pro beach tour. So I'm like, oh, well, that's this is a little preview into what could possibly happen. Right. Where people are excited to go watch the finals or the quarters or a late, uh, you know, even like those cool quarterfinal rounds on like a Saturday night going into Sunday. And now we're not going to be able to see those at all where you, before yeah. it was broadcasted. So you could for sure count on it happening. So it's going yeah, to be we talked about that. And those are some of the, like you mentioned that last week, I believe that some of the, you know, those quarterfinals are some of the most interesting where you're going to get some of the upsets, right? Yeah. And if you're not able to watch those, like, like it's a side court, right? And it's not on the stream court and it's really rowdy it's packed in it's rowdy because it's the side court and i like that atmosphere do you like in in pickleball a lot of the venues that we go to are these big tennis stadium courts that aren't super intimate the stands aren't very close to the actual court and it's cool because it's a stadium but at the same time i think the best experience as a player is like something similar to red rock um, in st george utah where the stands, you have these bleachers that are pretty close to the court. So it feels very intimate with the fans. Like they're right on top of it. This, the bleachers are pretty steep. So it's not like these stadium courts where the bleachers are like less inclined and they go deeper, further back. Farther away, it's yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's cool because it's it feels intimate. And that's I think the ideal pickleball venue would be a very intimate court with stands very close to the court, as close as you can get comfortably. Um, and kind of surrounded on all sides, like that would be, that would be epic. Yeah, I agree with that because when we have big events or stadiums, it feels very foreign in a sense. Cause you're like, why is everyone so far away? You know, your kids are in the stands like, hi dad, you can barely hear them. And you're like, you guys should be like right here courtside. And anytime we've had a, a stadium like that, I didn't like it because there's also too much room outside the court. And I was like, ah, I'd rather feel a little bit tighter. Cause I feel like I'd rather have a little bit more energy close by. And so then they incorporated like the box seats right on the court. And that changed the game because now um, I'm able to like, if I go back to serve, I can throw a ball in the crowd to somebody, some kid that's firing me up. Like, bro, I need some mojo. I need some good. I throw it in and then you throw it back and it'd be like, get the ace. And I'd be like, that's all you, bro. You know, and then you're building like this cool entertainment value. And the kid feels like he's involved. And then after, you know, you're signing balls and then you see him 10 years later and he's married to a family. And he's like, bro, I remember that moment. You know, you're like, what just happened? So having that close knit courtside, you know, almost outside the stadium type feel, I always love that energy better too, because it's just like, everyone's involved. Everyone feels like they're yeah. participating, not just watching. It's so much better. How many, how many courts do you guys have streamed at a typical event? So we would normally do four or five. And I think okay. we probably only had that many courts for our main draw. Anyways, we used to have, you know, 20, 30 courts but we downsized the main draw from like a 32 or 64 to a 16. So we didn't okay. need as many, which was huge because it helped with the, the, the whole bracket going faster. You had official times versus you just didn't know when you were up. Um, 
So it was very doable with the streaming aspect of it. It was just always a little bit um, unreliable in a sense because, you know, they're running cords through the sand underneath. People are walking, tripping on it. So, um, and yeah, it was about four or five. Outside of that main court, the championship court, are those other courts, uh, are they being commentated on or is it just a stream of yes. just the video? So two of the other courts were always commentated. So it was like our feature stadium and then our one and two, those three courts had commentators. The other, like maybe four or five, didn't have anything. They just had live audio from if you could hear the players talking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but those were good because we did recruit old legends from the game, right? You'd have like your senior pros in a sense for you guys would come like, yep. like a Dane, you know what I mean? He'd come and he would commentate your guys' match in the, yeah. you know, the pro event. And so um, that was always cool because you had guys that you kind of looked up to when you were kind of climbing the ladder and they were talking about you. You're like, dude, no way. Karch Grimes talking about me right now. This is sick. You know, <laughs> it was really cool. No, that's great. I think, uh, I think pickleball fans and viewers would lose their minds if these tournaments had four or five courts being streamed, even if let's say only the championship court was commentated on, which there's so much, there's so, there's so many complaints about commentary anyway in pickleball that I think all the courts could go without commentary and people would be super stoked just to hear the live audio from the court because it feels like you're there. You're hearing a little bit of the players chirping. You're hearing the crowd. You're hearing the score from the ref. I think it doesn't even have to be crazy complex. Like, um, with the, with a lot of these matches, even if like, let's say courts three, four, five, let's say courts one and two championship court. And the next court had multiple camera angles. It was nice. It was good. You could see everything, but even if courts three, four, five just had a camera at the back shooting from behind and all you could hear was kind of the live audio from the site, plenty. People would love it. Yeah. People would eat it up and your stream numbers would be much, much higher. Um, and it doesn't seem like that big of an effort to, to throw up a camera on the back of a court and just, just hit record and go. Maybe there's more yeah. to it. I don't know because that's all I do with this podcast is hit record and go. But right. it doesn't seem that, that hard. It doesn't seem <laughs> yeah. that hard. Yeah, I think having a scoreboard, a digital scoreboard, so everyone knows what the score is so that when Dude, they come in on a, that live been, score... I've been talking about even a scoreboard at like, or do you mean like, you just mean like a graphic, a graphic at the bottom. Right. And it just yeah. slowly, it would, and just it have somebody change. keep up with that. That's easy. Um, and but what, what, one thing I talked about all last year on this podcast was how do we not have only a couple of the venues have it. And it's so good, even as a player. And like one thing I'm always doing at tournaments is, Hey, can you hear the score? Can you hear the score? Can like, what would the yeah. ref say? Everybody quiet. And then I would like try to like read their lips halfway and kind of get something out of it. And it's like, if like, it would not be hard to set up little, like buy, buy five, 10 of these little digital scoreboards that you just post to the fence and keep up, like have the, have it sync to what the refs keeping score with or whatever it may be. Oh, they're not, they're using paper, I think, but like, um, they should all have iPads to be honest with you and tracking it like that. But even if we had five digital scoreboards on court, where people could actually see the live score of the match going on when they're walking around and milling about, like that's super helpful. And even as a player, it's like, you know, I like looking at that and just seeing where I'm at in the match. Like Delray, the APP and Delray had on the championship court. And I thought it was like, it creates legitimacy as well. It's like, oh, we have a scoreboard and it's not that big of an ask. It's not that hard to do. And it's easy to travel with. They're not heavy machines. Like, no, that's such a simple thing. I'm assuming yeah, you guys they, have scoreboards, right? At, so, yeah, we transition from some, like, volunteer flipping, like a flip, which is usually by the down ref, 
um, to, okay, we're using iPads and like a digital scoreboard to they put one in the corner of every court, which added a few things, right? Now no one's asking for the score or, or like wondering what's going on because it was like a, a medium-sized digital scoreboard that they would truck around all over the nation in their trucks. We had like six to eight of them or something. They put them in the corner. And then what was cool is they they would print out your name, right? And so they'd slide your names into each thing. And then so visually, if you had like photos or video, it was cool because you could not only watch the sick rally, you'd also know reference of the score, where you were in the match and who was playing who if you didn't know right away. So it like, it just, it definitely elevated that. just that little bit elevated so much of the content of the game, of the, the viewership and people not having to keep asking what the score is. Um, and it looks super professional and it's easy to set up in the corner around the banners, like just kitty corners where everyone can see. It yep. was a huge game changer for us because it wasn't like, you know, some kid forgot to flip the little like plastic scoreboard. It was like, you know, and everyone's yelling at the kid to change the scores wrong. And you're like, oh, my gosh, let's just put it in the corner. Everything's the same thing. We sign an iPad like it just really elevated. Every yeah, every time we talk, I always go back to like, man, it's like you guys have already created kind of this blueprint of what, what, what we should be doing and why are we not doing it? Don't, doesn't, don't you think like that? It's like, Oh dude, you guys, it's are, you guys hard have gone to not, through all this. Yeah. It's hard to not keep talking about, I'm like, I feel like I'm talking about it beach volleyball too much, but it's like, it's like the big brother of, in a sense, like we've already gone through all this stuff. We've gone through all the growing pains and, and all the different like ownerships and different tours and all these things. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we just kind of have that blueprint already scoreboarding you know the live streams the commentary on specific courts and then i have the same thing we just love having a live stream with a graphic and hear the, the players kind of talk and scream in a big rally you hear them yelling you're like i that i liked almost more sometimes so it's like yeah. that's what we should do that's the template and maybe there's not any more you can think of off the top of your head but are there any other like low-hanging fruit that could provide more legitimacy to pro pickleball that you've seen AVP already implement. Um, I think we've moved a little bit more towards qualies and limiting main draws, but not completely. Like a lot of these draws are still really large and it's, it seems like we're doing some testing on it, yeah. but we're not fully implementing. Yeah. So, I'd say a big, I'd agree with that. The big part of having a qualifier like the day before, um, I think that would be good because you kind of filter out a lot of the guys that are just showing up and think they can just sign up for pro and it seems like when i first saw that anyone could i was like wait anyone can just go sign up for the pro event and just get destroyed and basically give someone like an automatic first round buy like why would we why wouldn't we want a little bit of quality and a possible upset ability because these guys have kind of grinded yeah. through that process i think it would having that qualifier like the day before like we do it really helps elevate the quality of that first round and then there's there's a lot of cool upsets that happen and everyone's talking and so it creates a lot of a lot of good things out of that right um yeah. that helps i do love that all the players that are trying to get there though are playing around the event at the same time i just think the pro level for sure the quality you need a quality you need to be able to earn your way in and kind of like really really deserve to be there in a sense um, i trying to think of like other things that we do that help on the world tour. We have jerseys, which is cool. So if the tour has title sponsors, everyone has a title sponsor and then like a one and a two. And so, you know, who the captain was by, you know, you'd be able to like, okay, all the ones are the captains. They'd wear that one Jersey and then they'd have cool, um, 
sponsor logos and then you were able to add your your tattoos and your sponsor stuff to your personal gear like your shorts but like the tank top or whatever shirt or whatever they gave us that always had the title sponsor and so what that did was it helped the local sponsors or those promoters that were hosting the event want to keep doing it year after year versus like oh well i didn't really feel like i got much out of it because there was nothing about the company that i donate all this money for for the event you know and so it it helped yeah. with that relationship so no but that's the few things that i think would could help long term if that was something to, to look into yeah i like that um in terms of uniforms in general like are you guys usually like on a random stop are you guys wearing matching clothes you have to have matching shorts so like for us like you don't have to wear a shirt but you have to have matching colored shorts so if you have like a, a gray, I've got to have something close. Or if you've got like a purple, I have to have like a shade close to that. Um, mm -hmm. You were required to have your name on all your gear. So everyone knows who you are. So if on television or photography, like they want to make sure that they know that's who you are. And so you always on the back of your shorts for us, it was like, I'd always put just like my Instagram handle. That's how it's just like, uh, cause social media was popular. So it was like Casey Pat. Okay. That was me. And then um, from there, we just deck out our gear and whatever sponsors we had, but we weren't required besides the colored shorts that were the same to have anything yep. the same. Do you think that helped grow your uh, Instagram? I think it helped grow the brand a lot because it, uh, one thing is I'd give some of those shorts away like every event, right? I'd sign a pair of shorts and give it to some kid. And I think that was kind of cool. Right. And then they'd save it. Um, I think it definitely helped in a sense of when social media became almost more of a tournament win. I was always thinking, you know, winning tournaments is how you got popular and you got followers and you got sponsors. And then it changed where, oh, I don't even have to play. I just have to make content on YouTube and social media and I get more sponsors. Yeah. It's all kind of flipped. So that definitely helped that progression when I noticed that that was the change of the, the current state of sponsorships and notoriety. It was, you just have to have content. So it definitely helped yeah. in that way. And that's still the case, right? That's like where we're at right now. Currently, <laughs> yeah. is content's king. Like, con like content's greater than results. Like, results are important, and ha getting to a certain level is important. But the person that has the best content, quality content, and the most content, yeah. is gonna is gonna grow the fastest. Yeah, it's kind of which weird is gonna equal more sponsorship. Guys. Yeah, it's it different, does. Right? It's kind of weird because it, it took a little bit of an adjustment. Cause you'd think, you know, we'd always been taught as kids, like, dude, you got to win. And for me, it was, you have to be on TV. That was the only way you got seen, right? It was okay, you're live on NBC. That's the only way people even knew you were playing and that like legitimized you. Right. And then, you know, I mean, I remember my first event, Kentucky fried chickens, like, Hey, we'll give you five grand to put this hat on. I'm like, no way, dude, I'm rocking the hair. That's my thing. There's like, there's no way. I would right? have taken the money. <laughs> KFC, bro. Come on. Bro. <laughs> If it wasn't like a kid's hat that didn't fit me, I might have worn it if it was just a little bit better. But yeah, it was much different back then. Now it's definitely just content based and 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 value in a sense through social media. Like what what pillars can I hit to help people want to follow me? And that's the key. Totally. Which is which is crazy. It's weird. Well, just to get back to streaming, I think well, one US Open has to improve that. That's it's that's not good. Um I've talked to a few people that played. Um, in terms of the experience, uh, we kind of ripped it to shreds a little bit last year. Parking was a joke. Uh, There's no player area. There was, there was just a lot of issues. There was like the venues wildly crowded. 
for the space available. I don't know if you've ever been down there to East Naples, but um, I think they had 2,700 plus players this year. Oh and gosh. it just gets crazy congested. Like to walk through to some areas, I mean, you're literally shoulder to shoulder squeezing by. Like, um, so coming off court, you have to go through a lot of people to get to your to get to your stuff. And um, <laughs> I think they did make some concessions this year for the pro players. They provided uh, parking, pro parking, but I believe it was to a to a very limited number of players, maybe like mm-hmm. the top ten or something. Um, so. If you're outside that, I believe you're still having to take the shuttle, schlep your cooler, schlep your bag, schlep your, your book bag, and uh, hop on a shuttle, take the shuttle, walk all the way to the back area where the courts are. It's just it's such a process, um, and it's a little bit of a bummer that they weren't able to to provide more pro parking than, than just that. Um, and I know parking's a hot commodity there. There's not a ton of space. They need to use outside parking lots. Um but yeah, yeah, that's I mean, always an issue for yeah. even even for our events, even as like the top players, like we have to like swindle and backdoor text message everybody in like in in on the AVP to like try to get one parking pass because mm. it's the same for us. It's you're parking in Manhattan Beach where you maybe oh, have the, I get the most anxiety ever time. when I go to this beach. I'm like, I have to park a mile away and my whole yeah. family's here and they got all this stuff like it's the same issue that we they've never solved that even for our event. It's like, do yeah. you think that you'd at least give us some parking so that we could get to the event, but we're still having to walk through the entire crowd to get back to the player's tent. That's, you know, has security in a very low budget type of way where everyone's just walking in and out and like, you need like the safe space. Yep. And I don't want to be like, I don't want to be around anyone, but if I have to focus on one of the finals for us too, it's like you just won your semi and you have to walk through like a couple thousand people to get to the player tent and everybody wants your signature and you want to be there and involved and present. So I had to like have a coach be like the bad guy and like, be like, sorry guys. And, and just push everybody away. And it was like, yeah. this feels so wrong, but at the same time, there just needs to be a better flow. Right. And it sounds like that event is very similar where you're just like, all right, we're just in the madness here. And there's really no, no um, organization as far as that goes, especially at least in the pro area, like you, that needs to just be a little bit more scheduled. There needs to be a place to be, there needs to be parking. I don't know that that's always something that bothers me <laughs> yeah on the on the ppa side of things they've done a really good job in terms of pro parking like i've never had an issue throughout this year um where you get the pass and you park and you're close and it's easy you just show it um so they've they've done a they've done a really good job in terms of making that more convenient and more easy for players um and i know it's very much venue specific and location specific yeah because sometimes you're just limited with what you have. Um, right. On a positive side, the U.S. Open did have a pro player tent this year that I heard was that I heard was nice. So, props they they did make the player experience a bit better. Um, obviously, there was a lot of rain and stuff that they have no control over. Um, but I think the biggest disappointment was just the streaming and the lack of viewership. And yeah, I think it's the U.S. Open like. How, how can we not get four to five courts streamed? If there's anybody out there that can just make this happen with with these tours, right. like it's such an opportunity. It's like you can you don't need that much. You just need even I don't know. I'm not I'm not a camera guy. I know you are you are more so, but it just does not seem that hard to stream four or five courts at once. I mean, you even if there's no GoPro, commentary. 
you can even yeah. live stream with a GoPro these days or you're, you're just a cell phone. Like people, we, a lot of times if we're on a world tour event, we'll just stream it live through Facebook or Instagram. And it's like great quality because of the cell phone coverage now that's so much better. Everyone can watch just even that way. You just set up a tripod Dude. and you throw it up. It's like, it's not that hard. <laughs> no. And I guarantee you, if you had a pretty average stream of a good match on the fourth court, you're going to get a lot of people watching that match. Yeah. Like as long as you can see the points, like I don't need the side cam where I'm watching the Dean rally. If I just have a camera from the back of the top of the fence, yeah. I'm happy as long as it's relatively clear. That's all. That's all I need. Especially the U S open. Like from what I feel and how everyone talks about it, it's such a massive event that you would think that that, especially with how many registrations are, there's a little bit in the budget to just, throw up some some live stream cameras <laughs> yeah no i mean i think uh, yeah i think the organizers and the tournament directors clear a decent profit let's throw a few let's throw a few uh gopros at the top of the fence and just click yeah. record yeah don't leave it up to the the players that have to do that i feel like it should just be kind of like set you should get a link send it to your family blast it out on social i mean they're only doing themselves it's just greater for them if there's a link it's, it's just self-marketing yeah like we used to get sent like a player packet right so we'd get sent the agency that would do all the marketing for our tour would send us an email with a link for all the photos for all the videos and then pre-written out captions and and specific formats of all the stuff to be like hey promote the event here's the links blah 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 like they would just it was just like a plug and play like oh i grab it i copy it and i paste it done it's in my stories yep. everyone sees it and then everyone go, went there and was like, You're, that's easy. You have all these, you have an army of athletes just promoting for you for free because they want their family to watch. It's like, let's make totally. this simple and easy and streamline. Yep. And uh, yeah, both the PPA and APP are doing better jobs with that this year. Um, they're sending kind of like some social posts that players can post before the before the tournament. Yeah. So slowly but surely, Casey. Yeah. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. Big brother's watching from the back. Just like, yes, yes okay, slowly. there it is. I remember those days. <laughs> Dude, I'm so, I know this is probably like on the, on the list, but the whole like paddle thing is insane to me that it happens at one of the most, like, I mean, basically one of the biggest events you as a pickleball player have all year round. And now I can't use the paddle that I have because they say that I can't. Hold on. Are you playing with the carbon? I mean, no, but I'm just saying, like, if that was yeah, me, I'd yeah, be yeah, so yeah. mad. And I don't understand how does USA Pickleball let it get to that, to the point where you're already at the event and then they say no. Like, I need to know more. You know these things, but I would be so mad at USA Pickleball from the brand side of, like, Carbon and whoever else is, Viola, like, whoever. Like, I would be so angry that that was happening right then. Why don't you just, like approach it right after and say, okay, we need to resolve this. We need to figure this out versus like, Hey, you can't play this paddle. I know you're in the finals or, you know, you're about to start the biggest event of the year for you as a amateur slash pro. Like, how is this even possible? Yeah. Yeah. So for some context to you listeners, that might not know what Casey's talking about is, I don't know if it's been dubbed Paddlegate or not, but I think I think I've, I've seen Paddlegate <laughs> around a little bit. It's so perfect, but uh, it, it's it's a little bit of an ongoing issue uh, within pickleball. Like we kind of saw rumblings of it last year for the first time uh, when Electrum kind of hit the scene. Uh, me as a player, I don't know, like I don't know specific 
you know, specs on paddles and surfaces and what they all do and all that. All right. I know as a player is that, um, like I'm very, very in tune with what's happening when the ball is coming off a paddle. Mm-hmm. And I do know that when the ball started coming off the Electrum last year, I had never seen anything like it. Like yeah. what you could do with some of these, what you could do with some of the top spin was like, I just, I, like I hadn't seen anything like it. And it just literally like was crazy. So like, you know, I got Pat Smith hitting, hitting full on forehand drives that are going over my head. I'm like, Oh, that's going to hit the fence and it lands Two four feet, feet in. in. And I'm like, <laughs> what, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> like I, yeah. like it was the first time where I saw the ball manipulated like that off the paddle. And I was like, man, that's, that's something else. If that's actually legal, like, big props to the manufacturer because they they found that limit and uh, i haven't seen any other paddle be able to kind of do that and that was uh you know and there were some rumblings about electrum last year and i think i think they did have some batches that went over i'm not completely sure what happened with that but i know uh, usa pickleball gave them some leeway and gave them time to to remedy the situation and um get things in order and get approved again and all that stuff reapproval or maybe I don't think it got disapproved, but it, uh, they definitely gave them leeway in terms of working with them. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like with carbon this year. So if you guys don't know, basically in the middle of the U S open, uh, USA pickleball full on disapproved the carbon paddle full on disapproved. Um, carbon was in talks with USA pickleball and USA pickleball mentioned to them that they had a couple of random paddles that, did not meet the standards and specifications for a legal paddle. Um, They also tested one, Michelle Esquivel's, that did meet the qualifications. It was a legal paddle. Um, But Garrett, the owner of Carbon, was like, look, he he told his players, don't play with it. This is pro players. Um, You can play with whatever, I think. I think he said you can play with whatever. Um, And then USA Pickleball had an emergency meeting and just full-on took it off the approved paddle list, which... To Carbon's point is an unprecedented move uh, because yeah. usually there's some leeway and they get to, you know, they get a chance to remedy the situation and to see it, like, was it just one batch that came through that, that yeah. you know, was over standard or is it is it a deeper problem? But usually it's, uh, you know, let's work with you to figure out why it, you know, these are over and um, let's fix it like that versus just a full on disapproval. And then you have to get reapproval. So, and in the middle of the tournament, right, where players are already playing with the paddle, players have already gotten significant results. I think Jada played uh, with the carbon paddle in singles when it was approved and, you know, got to the final. And it's, yeah, mid-tournament. It just depends how it came up, right? So let's, let's let's say that USA Pickleball somehow did, like they just found out in the middle of the tournament that, oh, we have an issue with, with this paddle. I actually think it's the right play in that scenario to ban the paddle immediately. Um, I don't know if you take it off the approved list, but you definitely put a halt on pro players playing with it. I don't, amateurs, whatever. I think um, paddles get more dangerous with pros that know how to manipulate the ball with spin um, in ways that amateurs yeah. cannot. So it's a bigger deal there and playing for prize money, right? And for ranking points and all that stuff, it's a much bigger deal. Um, but if if USA Pickleball truly found out there was an issue during the tournament and tested 
and I, I approve of that immediate ban. I don't think you say, hey, you can play play with this paddle that's mm-hmm. not approved or illegal for the rest of the tournament and then have kind of, you know, these results that are marred by controversy. I yeah. think it's so I think that's the right call. It's just to me, it's just a matter of did they know before the tournament or did it truly come up mid tournament? And also why? Yeah. Like, how did it come up? Who brought it up? Like, it's just it, it is interesting timing on how it all happened. And yeah. it makes me feel like it's like a like a random drug test. Like I used to get these. I'd be at practice in Huntington Beach and like these people would just walk up and I'd be like, hey, guys. And they'd be like, are you Casey? I'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, all right, we got to go pee go up to the public bathroom at the beach and be like, all right, we need your urine sample. And I'm like, I mean, is that how they're, they're coming out with like some sort of like device that just measures the grip and the grit of the carbon fiber over the paddle in the moment and being like, Nope, you're on steroids. You're not, you're good. You're okay. You're not like it. It seems like an interesting timing for them to be like mid tournament. (laughs) There's a lot lot that goes into paddle testing. Right. But I do like, I know they're using this machine. I think it's called the Starrett. Yeah, it's S T A R R E T T, I believe, and yeah, it metals, it measures um, surface roughness, I believe. I don't know a ton of details about it, um, but like what I, like what would make what would have made more sense to me is instead of just throwing a test on that one and finding it disapproved, like and maybe they did this, but um, like if it was like a random drug test, like you're saying, let's let's test every paddle that a pro is playing with. And right. publish those results for everybody to see. Um, so it's not; it doesn't seem like it's just this isolated one-off where we're yeah. where we're going after this one paddle yeah. uh, type thing. Even though, like, every come on, everybody like the carbon, even more so than the electron, that thing has some wicked spin. Like the things you can do with that paddle. Like I always say, like DJ Young in Austin's just like he's hitting what looks like a full-on flat drive that just dips over the net and I'm like never seen that before that's a new shot we're reinventing pickleball right now yeah dude's dude's hitting full-on drives that are dipping at my toes at the kitchen it's crazy to get that much dip on it everyone that plays with them are like oh yeah like i've tried all the battles this is this is like it's insane how much like spin i can put on the ball i'm like jeez and you know i've played against them before they use it and now after i'm like wow it's a huge difference visually and physically as they hit the ball and you're like, well, you never could do that before. That's crazy. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it's like the Barry Bonds topic. Like, yeah, dude, just let everybody take steroids and see how gnarly, how many home runs we can get. Like, let's do it. Let's just see how awesome. We are. <laughs> or we got to like, make sure that if we do have the regulations that there's a timing, you know what I mean? The day before everyone's got to turn in whatever paddles they're using, get them approved. There's some sort of barcode. Okay. Boom. Like if we're getting serious about it, like, there should be a process that way. So that way there's no like last minute, sorry, you can't use your paddle that you've trained with for the last month. And now you got to go use a, a wooden paddle or whatever you have on yeah. the, in the back or your bag. seems a little crazy. Yeah. And I, you know, obviously one of the growing pains of the sport, there, there's not a lot of standardized procedure, especially for, yeah. for onsite paddle testing. To my knowledge, this is the first time onsite paddle testing has ever occurred. Maybe that's not true. I'm, I've never heard of it before. I know there were rumblings last year about, you know, people getting a machine or one of the tours getting a machine to test. Um, this was based on the, all the Electrum stuff. But, um, yeah, to see it actually being done at the U.S. Open, there was a 
there's a video circulating on social um, of, I believe, a USA pickleball um, representative who does paddle testing. Like, I think he's one of the Uh top guys, if not the top guy. I don't know his name um, off the top of my head. But the video was, I believe, shot by AJ Kohler, uh, just based on his voice. Voice is pretty unique. And uh, and he was with a Frommeth. He was with some Frommeth people, and he's sponsored by Frommeth. Um, but it was that that tester using that little machine, the Starit, if that's what you if that's how you pronounce it, on the surface of a Yola paddle or a couple. And he was basically saying, "Oh yeah, this is this is going to go over. This is over grit as well." No way. Um, talking about the Yola paddle. So. And again, it's not a full test, not a full lab test of, you know, whether it's legal or not, but it's clearly one of the indicators that they use to see if the surface, right. if the uh, surface roughness is over. And it, uh, it appeared in that video that it was over. So there's a question now on, on the Yola stuff. And I know Yola released a statement saying, you know, we keep all our paddles up to USA, like, you know, up to USA pickleball standards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that video... You know, you have a USA pickleball representative in that video saying it's over, it's over roughness. So <laughs> there's just a lot of crazy stuff going on. <laughs> it's crazy. There isn't even a ton of money yet. And it's just like, dude, no. advantage. you know, it's just like the inner competitor and in all of us were like, bro, if I wear these shoes and I add a little like sticky spray to them, dude, I can get, you know what I mean? It's like, we got, 100%. we always want to get the smallest advantage possible at any time. I mean, even if it's cornhole in my backyard, I'm like, dude, I'm going to dominate. I got to figure, I got to get the right bags. I got to get this, the slickness of the board dialed. <laughs> it's just totally. like, we all take it to that extreme. It's crazy. Yep. It's, it's insane. It's like, I mean, yeah, I just go back to like how it is for us. Like the ball always has like the air pressures test be tested in between every match before you, and then before you start the next one, um, they, there's so much protocol with like drug testing, like that you constantly have to fill out your whereabouts for every single day where you are, uh, like six months in advance. And if you're not there and they call and you miss the call, that's a strike. You get three strikes and you're out. It's wow. like, wow, dude. I mean, it's so intense. So it's like, that could be a small little window into the future as well, as far as like, just for the athletes yeah. and the, uh, the our, drug testing of... is pretty, our drug testing is pretty intense too. <laughs> Is it really or no? I guess it's there's, not at all. There's no, there's no drug testing. <laughs> it costs <laughs> so whatever, much money. <laughs> I can do whatever I want, man. Like we can either I'm drug so test your athletes right or hold an event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, I mean, as long as there's like a, I feel like they always test your paddle, right? You are, they you hold out your paddle, they test, they look at it, blah, blah, blah. I mean, does each ref just have one of those things just go, zip? checked each paddle i mean i feel like they should if that's the case right and then you know yeah it's uh it'd be interesting there's so many ways even if yeah i mean that would be really the only sure way to know whether a paddle is legal um as a match starts right because even if even if it gets tested you know let's say you you have seven paddles as a pro and you get one tested or two tested before the tournament. Yeah. Um, maybe it's random or whatever, maybe. But you can always have a paddle in the wings that could be illegal that you bring yep. to your match that, you know, the ref on site's not going to test. So yeah, how do you do it? Yeah, it's like the all the, the documentaries you follow, like, uh, what is it, like Icarus and like all these other yeah. types of 
oh, dude, I watched all of those on like my flights over to the world tour and I'd be like, everyone's cheating. Everyone's cheating. And the only people that are getting caught are the ones that are doing it on accident. They're like, oh, I yeah. took this supplement and it had something in it. It's like no one who's doing it for real is getting caught because they've got the secret lab with the like false totally. door and they can slide the urine under the wall. And it's so too cheating. Good. it's like, yeah, yeah it's they're good. like, they already know in advance, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, the Lance Armstrong's got the trailer where he stops and goes and like gets the blood transfusion. And then he's back on the track and like no one saw that going on. But it's the kid that's taking the multivitamins that gets in trouble because he has no idea. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my exactly. Gosh. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's going to be fun to see that, like what type of process they put in place for the paddles. Yeah. Um, I know I know John Davison who from the Pickler podcast, he's also been heavy into racing, like automobile racing. I don't know okay. at what level, but I do know that he was, he had a Facebook post on the process that they use in terms of legality and uh, car legality and all that stuff. And it's basically the top, I think he said top three or four finishers automatically get pulled into, into testing. You have to leave your car for however long and they do a full inspection on it to make sure it's at standard. Yeah. And, and that's, that seems like a decent way to do it. Right. It's like, and he also said that, other drivers have the opportunity to uh, to protest a car and they have to put up money to protest that car. And if they if the protest succeeds, they get that money back minus a small fee for the inspection. Um, if they lose that protest, they lose that money. So one of like his suggestions, yeah. yeah, like a challenge. So one of his suggestions were, you know, if a player has a problem with the paddle of an opponent, then he can he can put up a protest. The paddle will get tested, and he will he'll put up the protest and let's call it a couple hundred bucks. The paddle gets tested. If it uh, if it comes back illegal, then you know you get the money back minus the fee, and that result is reversed or whatever it may be. But I guess my thing is is that let's say I win a match and you know my opponent wants to protest my result. It's like money's already so slim in the sport as is is yeah it's, and it's not like i'm taking my paddles and modifying them myself like i'm just i'm taking paddles that the manufacturer gives me so given if, yeah if my result if my result is you know overturned because of a paddle that my manufacturer gave me that's just crappy on the player right and it's, it would be expensive for players to who aren't making that much money in the first place to put up the money to protest a result Right. Um, so I just don't know if we'd see much of that, but in general, I like the idea of, you know, right after, right after a match is completed, call it the gold medal or the bronze medal. Um, you know, you surrender your paddle, it gets tested on site and then mm -hmm. it gets returned. Like, I like that. That's great. And I also, I think PPA is implementing uh, starting May 15th, um, on-site paddle testing. And like I said, it, that's, that's good. Um, it's a, it's a procedure. I don't know how it'll be implemented, but again, like you can always, as a player, you can always have paddles in the wings that, you know, could be over roughness that you're not getting, that you're not sharing with them at the upfront paddle testing. Like, let's say you check in and you have to get your paddles tested. You could have one in the car <laughs> that you grab later and just take it to court. Yeah. If you're in the money, if you finish in the money, yeah. which is typically depending on the tour, top six, top eight. No, not usually top eight, top six. Nope, usually top four. 
let's be honest. We haven't gotten that far. But if you finish yeah. in the money and you're getting a check, um, your paddle should be tested at the end of that tournament, after that final match, in my opinion. I agree. Right as soon as we finish uh, a medal round, whether it's for bronze or gold, silver, all four teams, uh, drug testing would come up with a bag to the team and would ask either one of us to pull a one or a two out, right? And since we had the one or two on our jersey, that was pulling, that was the randomized, all right, now you have to go, you're being drug tested from each one of the teams immediately after every medal round. And we're like, you can't be mad at that point because you're like, yeah, I kind of want everyone to make sure that, because this is, there's money on the line. There's a lot of incentives sponsorship wise. There's a lot of notoriety and support from your federation. So it made sense. So I would agree with that. Like you immediately surrender your paddle and get it checked. I think that'd be yep. great. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so just on back, just bouncing around here, true freestyle fashion, but yeah, back to yeah. a little bit of the uh, live streaming stuff, the U S open. So um, again, I didn't travel. So I, <laughs> we kind of Jimmy rigged uh, a rebroadcast of that stream. Uh, Tony helped set all this up. And I literally just comment, like we, we turned the volume down on the mainstream. And then I just literally talked about some of the matches I was watching and kind of gave insights on uh, players and their games, how they play together, uh, partnerships, kind of some behind the scenes stuff. And people seem to be a little receptive. Uh, we've gotten a fair amount of views on that video. So I think that's just something I have fun with, just watching pickleball and talking about it, talking about the players, their backgrounds, their stories and uh, giving you some context around like what I see going on in the match uh, versus maybe what you see and what some of the commentators right. on the main broadcast might be talking about, which probably isn't the same as what I would be talking about mm -hmm. um, having, you know, going against these players week in and week out. So um, I'm going to be doing more of that. I'm going to tournaments that I'm not traveling to as long as there's a decent live stream up and Tony can help set it up. I will be getting on the mic and doing more, more kind of live commentary. I'm not doing really play-by-play. -play. I know people get really mad when when commentators talk over the play. I'm not <laughs> I'm not doing commentary play-by-play -play like that. I'm just I will be talking as they're playing. But I will be just talking about background, uh, context around the match, overall strategy. I'm not going to be talking about um, nonsense that I thought it was some of the, I thought it was really cool. I was talking before like Watching the Riley and Matt versus um, Tyson and uh, Tyler, and you're yep. giving the background on like you're kind of categorizing each player and then them as a team, and then as you know also timing on when they made the sw the partner switches, who's benefited more from that, um, and then while you were currently talking about it, it was like you were explaining like, hey, these guys, this is why like Riley and Matt their identity, and this is kind of what their strength is, and then you know there's a little bit of a, a not weakness, but there's a little bit of an area that they get exploit. And then it was happening as you were talking about it. And I was like, this is so rad. This is the kind of stuff that I love to hear because you don't get that from normal commentary. You don't get the, the insider like timeline of how these teams partnered up and then why they've been successful. And then what they're doing against this specific team that made them kind of like confidently have an advantage or we're proving points that were happening. I was like, dude, that's so good because I watched that stuff. But like the way you were explaining it, I was like, you're just confirming all the like intuitions that I had while I was watching. You know, it was really cool. I really liked that because it, 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 it segued into like how I was thinking about, okay, now when I play in a tournament, 
how I categorize specific people that I've never played before and how that helps me uh, when I play beach too. It's like I notice specific tendencies or how they approach this type of ball or how they serve and like just watching their body language and warm up. I'm like, okay, I've kind of got them categorized a little bit so that I'm not at just like a, a blind draw, like, all right, let's just play. And I have no idea what they're going to do. So I thought yeah. that was really cool how you explained that. I was like, oh, that's that's great. And I think that it would also help those our viewers if they're watching those when you live stream. It starts to train them to see specific things that will help them long term when they go play in a tournament, especially, like I said, against people they've never played before or they don't know their style. You pick yeah. up on things faster. You think it's I think it's better if I relate it back to the viewer and how they can take it home and, and do it themselves or is it enough where I'm just talking about it and explaining what I'm seeing and then they can they can intuitively take it you know take their own stuff from it or do I need I, to like spell it out I thought it was great how you did it but that's of course coming from someone who's watched film his whole life like for me I've yeah. watched hours and hours and hours of film of other teams and created I have like multiple black books of strategies and then yep. you know I would always add on to that strategy and, and have it adapt according to each time I play them so for me, it was like, I'm already kind of watching that stuff, but it was very clear because I'm getting the visual I'm watching. So I thought it was awesome how you did it. I don't think you needed to like dumb it down at all. It was okay. very clear and specific. And it was it was cool because we were getting like historical view on the specific partnerships like O'Reilly and Matt and how they've, you know, probably had a little bit more of a long-term success versus when Riley was playing with Tyson, you know, because I remember watching them together too and be like, oh, I wonder why they broke up. And then you gave a little bit more insight into that. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And then it was kind of confirming it with the rallies that were happening. It's like, dude, that was awesome. Yeah, no, that's good. And yeah, I just, it's easy to forget that a lot of people don't have the backstory on a lot of that stuff or even understand like what other pros think of other pros' games in terms of strengths and weaknesses and yeah. um, what they're good at, what what they struggle with, where you can exploit them, uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. I have a ton of fun with it. My computer's about to die, so talk about something fun, Casey. <laughs> okay, I'll keep it rolling. Um, I've been very curious. I just played in a, a tournament in the Pase in Paseo, uh, Paseo Club, which is a really cool spot. And uh, it was a, I got pulled in because someone, one of my buddies got hurt, and I ended up playing out of nowhere, like randomly. And... Uh, it was really cool because it reminded me a lot of my qualifier days where I was at the mercy of the team that I played and I had no information. I'd never seen these guys before and I just had to figure it out all on the fly. And I'm like, it's been such a long time because in beach level, like you guys, you play the same people. I don't even need yeah. to look at my, I just, we have a team meeting. I'm like, same strategy that worked last time we beat them. Okay, perfect. And if it doesn't <laughs> work, we add the middle serve. Okay, perfect. We'll do that. You know, like there's one or two things we maybe change. And so going back and playing like a, an event where I show up and as we're warming up, I'm like, I've never seen this person before. I don't even know if like their style, what they're going to do, how they're, are they going to come out really aggressive and try to set the tone? Or are they the kind of guys that are just going to reset and evaluate? So it was really cool because you feel really vulnerable. And that sense, I haven't had that feeling in a long time. I was like, I feel like a little kid. This is rad. And so like your, your sense is heightened and I'm watching their warm up like, How's this guy backhand dinking? Does he look like he's comfortable or is he just kind of yep. cool guy in it during the warm up? Like when he drives and hits his thirds, does it look like he's the guy we want to target? And usually for me, in when we play like a first round in a qualify, uh, a main draw, we always play a qualifier team. A lot of times it's guys we've never seen before. 
Mm-hmm. But for us, we have a different dynamic where I can just bomb my serve and get them out yeah. of system where they're just rattled. They could have a game plan, but that's out the window when I'm hammering a serve and they're yeah. out of control. In pickleball, it's different. There's much more control from each team. They can slow the tempo. They can control things a lot more. So I would, I would say, but to your point, um, it's the same thing when you have like a, a high seed at a PPA playing, you know, a, a very low ranked team coming in. It's like it doesn't matter. Like I like it's the same thing. We have our just, go-to's that will win the match, right? Um, and it's usually just be will be steady enough and attack enough. They haven't seen the certain attacks, and you'll come out on top. Yeah. Uh, so it it is very similar in terms of like a top beach volleyball team going against an up and coming team. You have your go tos of what how you know even if they throw weird stuff at you, yeah. um, how you're still going to win that match because you have you have your go tos that will always overcome. Yeah, you're confident so that it is, halfway through it is the set you're going to pull it out, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're always like, oh, cool. They're super fired up at like six, five. Like we're fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everyone can hang until six and then we're just going to, we're just going to rally and just throttle, full throttle. 100%. Uh, it's probably the same thing, but yeah. I just noticed that how cool it was to, to kind of th- go back into that, that mentality of them, like this animalistic, like awareness. Okay, here we go. Like, and I'm the kind of person that's a firm believer. And if I just, even if I'm faking it, but I set the tone that I'm coming in hot and aggressive and I'm going to poach and whether I'm successful or not, like I'm just, I'm bringing that at you that I think I can kind of concrete my like vibe and aura to be like the one that's attacking. Cause anytime yeah. I feel like I'm losing, it's when I'm usually just trying to reset and keep the ball in. But then when I attack, it's like, that's always when you go on a run. It's when you're being aggressive. And so it was just cool of a, a little like uh, throwback in, in playing in that tournament where it was like, I haven't played anyone here. And that's usually very uncommon for me. It's like that first team and then everyone else I know. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool. That is cool. And one, just on the note of, you know, you playing pickleball, playing tournaments, practicing, getting better. Uh, one thing I want to do through kind of the dynamic we have on the podcast, and we talked about this a little bit, is kind of coach you along your journey on the podcast because i think i think a lot of uh listeners will get really really insightful takeaways on like the way like my whole journey was going from beginner to pro in a year and i kind of documented a lot of that in terms of what i was going through at the time um so i'm basically taking that knowledge and instilling it into you as you go to see how good we can get you and I think we'll be talking about different things on the podcast in relation to that. And yeah, I think it'll be pretty cool and valuable for listeners to kind of to kind of see the progress and see what you're working on and see, um, you know, the way you think about the game. And maybe I provide some different insight and perspectives on that and give you certain yeah. things that you need to work on. And yeah, it'll be cool. Yeah, I love it. I think it's, it's huge because I'm in that world where it's like, there's you know, you can hyper-focus on one thing and that makes a big difference in your game long-term. Just returning serve better, more efficiently to a specific guy, lower and flatter, maybe giving them left spin because these guys are just using it to their advantage. Like all those little things without the game, I've noticed that like, okay, I need to make sure that this is something that I need to like focus on for like a week straight or even more so that it's not just getting frustrated about the same thing. Like why are guys constantly driving? And I feel like I'm getting just just like 
attacked by a paintball gun. I'm like, what's going on? And it's not that I'm scared. I, I, the ball is so tiny that I don't get like rattled. I'm just like, okay, here it comes. But guys are able to get so much top spin and get that thing like darting and dropping where it's almost that hybrid drive, but they're putting so much pace on it. And I'm like, how do I block this or redirect it without putting it in the net? Because I feel like I'm way under the ball and I'm not pushing down. I'm kind of trying to like push forward or redirect at an angle to get the guy that's trying to poach off balance. But sometimes these guys are just getting so much torque. What do you do in that scenario where you feel like you're out of control and just getting hit at? And they're doing it at such a low, you know, percentage over the net that it's hard to still, I mean, I know that maybe, is it like a reset redirect or what you're are you doing? About, that you're, talking about, you're talking about on your fourth, right? They're hitting a the dipping third. Yeah, but it's not like a like a really fast dipping third. Not like yeah, a, it's just like a roll drop, like a top right. spin roll drop that clears the net by a little bit, but bounces on your side, and you have a guy giving you pressure uh, that yeah. closed, and you're trying to keep it away from him. Uh, yeah, so typically on that, it doesn't really matter where you hit it, um, as long as you just pick it up very softly. Yeah. And just take kind of like a little half, a little half volley and just keep it soft over the, over the net. Um, cause all you're looking to do there is just keep it unattackable and right. which is hard, right? Cause you're, cause your opponent hit a great third, his, his partner's crashing. So you're feeling a lot of pressure on, Oh no, I'm going to pop this up or is he going <laughs> to yeah. poach? So yeah. the only thing, the only thing you should be thinking about there is just keeping it very, very soft. I wouldn't even think about like direction other than maybe right back where the ball came from or try to take it cross court which gives you you know a lower part of the net and more court to work with right but all i'm trying to do there is just keep it super soft and not pop it up easier said easier said than done but it's a great uh, that's a great um shot to practice for a fourth yeah i feel like the the more and more you play guys at at a higher level they hit that with they can hit that shot with a lot of, I mean, probably multiple speeds too, like a medium speed. They can speed it up and it's still dipping, right? Yeah. So I think it's it's it comes down to just getting those ex, that experience and getting those balls more often, right? And having like how do I how do I almost replicate that in training so that I'm getting a fast one, a medium pace one with more spin? You know what I mean? I think yeah. that's something that. I want to like dial in because and I think that's one thing when people drill is let's say, let's say you're back hitting thirds mm-hmm. and I'm at the kitchen just hitting back to you. So you're working on your thirds. I don't think the person at the kitchen, which is the person technically hitting fourth force practicing force. I don't know if they're always thinking that thinking about it that way. Like, Oh, I'm practicing my fourth shot. I think oftentimes they're just thinking about like, okay, I'm just feeding a ball to the guy with a third. Right. Four shots, wildly important. Like I'm trying to take every one of those out of the air if I can. Uh, one, because it shows you whether or not you hit a good third. And also because if I can take it out of the air and not pop it up, um, it's going to keep you back. So you can't move forward if we were replicating a game. Right. Point. So right. I don't think people take enough focus on at the kitchen when you're just hitting, hitting somebody thirds, like that's a, the force, a very important shot. Yeah. I'd say, and how many reps do you get when you can compartmentalize and like own that, almost that space in that moment where you're at the line and get into that, tap into that like visual of, and that feeling of having to do that. Right. Cause that's, that's an extra 30 reps a day of just a warm up yeah. that you're getting where you're practicing exactly what I just said. Like, Oh, I need to like 
figure that out a little bit more. Well, if I actually pay attention to it and I'm in the moment, I'm getting those right now. <laughs> That's really yeah, good. Exactly. And if you're, if you're thinking about the fourth, if you're taking it, if you're not letting it bounce and it's too far below the net, let's say you're just picking it off the ground. That ball is gonna like, there's just the trajectory, the trajectory of it's going to go up too much to where it's not going to be a good shot. And it's going to be very poachable by your opponent. So right. on ones where you're trying to pick it up off the ground, better to just let it bounce, come up, and then you'll at least be able to keep it away from the guy poaching uh, because the ball is bouncing at a higher level. So th- you don't yeah. want to take them all off the – you don't want to take everything out of the air. If it's too low and you have no option but popping it up a little bit and it has too much air under it and somebody's going to be able to poach it, that's not a good for it. So yeah. you only want to hit – you only want to take it out of the air if you're able to kind of keep the trajectory on it low and – deep right i think that's a huge part of it too is the ball recognition right that helps you like when you're looking at that when your eyes you're focusing on the attacker right they're hitting their third um i feel like a lot of times we look at the ball a little bit too slow or we're looking at other things and then we look at the ball late and then we're getting surprised so i think visually finding that ball a little bit sooner has helped me a lot more because it's similar to when I'm being hit at in volleyball. Like if I'm just, we have this thing called, this is something I want to ask you. We call it, it's called ball setter, ball hitter, right? So the ball is passed to the setter and the guy that's setting, you watch him to see if he's going to go on two or dump it, or he sets the attacker. Now, a lot of people, they just, they've spent too much time actually watching just the ball and not the person. And so there's like this perfect window of time and space that gets you into that flow where you read really well and you feel like your touch is good. And uh, so that's like the term they came up with is like ball setter. And then you watch the ball for a little bit of a moment as it apexes. And then you find the hitter and read his body language and uh, where he's facing, where his shoulder is and where he is in location to the ball. And I would say, is it similar to that in pickleball where I hit a return, I'm on the ball, and then I immediately I'm just watching the attacker. Is that is there a specific pattern that you use or that's just kind of like a natural thing that you pick up over time? With which scenario, though? In, so in when they're attacking, like, so in pickleball on that third, when they're driving or dropping and noticing yep. if I need to step back or get it in the air, how yep. do I find and make that decision sooner rather than later so that I'm almost ahead of the, the ball versus waiting and then yeah. being like, oh, I should have backed up. I shouldn't have taken it out of the air or, you know what I mean? That yeah, that so, scenario there. Yeah. It made me think of another scenario, too, which I'll talk about after this, but um, as the returner, really the only job you have is to hit the return, ideally nice and deep, um, and get get to the line as fast as possible. Uh, the quicker you get to the line, um, you'll be able to you'll be able to you basically need to get to the line and be able to split step, and then you're prepared for whether they drive, drop, whatever it may be. Right. And then my default once I get to the line is. I take everything out of there if I can. So Mm -hmm. that's the default thought process is I'm at the line. If I can take it out of the air, I am. So I'm reaching, I'm leaning, I'm looking to do that. Um, If I see it's a great drop and I'm not going to be able to reach it without popping it up, I'm going to take a step back, let it bounce. um, And then I'm just trying to keep it, depending on how good the drop is, I'm just trying to keep it low and unattackable back to them. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes you just have to respect it and realize they hit a great drop and not try to overplay it and just respect the fact they hit a great drop and they're going to make it to the kitchen. Um, yeah. Cause oftentimes what you'll do is you'll let it drop and then you'll try to overplay 
and you'll try to crush it um, and miss, or you're hitting up to them and they're in a good spot. So sometimes you have to respect your opponent's shot that they hit a good one and just you know keep grinding away and keep working <laughs> yeah. the point. It's yeah. easy not, not to, it's easy to get frustrated and be like, oh, why do they keep hitting yeah. such good thirds? Right. I think that's that happened a lot when I was like first playing. I was like, oh, you play a guy that could just get that inside out spinner to the right and would kick and go to your backhand if you're on the left side and you're like oh my gosh what do i do you feel like you were just swatting at bees you're like i don't know what to do because <laughs> it's visually it was just so crazy yeah i think being stopped that that part has helped a ton because it's the same same with me if i'm stopped i'm focused on the right things if i'm still moving i'm kind of like trying to see the line do i stop where it's going yeah where's the ball you know is the guy poaching you're looking and thinking about too many things yeah it's more of a natural it's more of a natural uh movement for tennis players you're you know you're split stepping non-stop in tennis so it kind of comes with the territory of playing pickleball uh you don't have to relearn that or anything it's not a new thing to learn it's just it's so ingrained into any tennis player the split step um so yeah, I can see without a racket sport background, it's got to be something that's conscious that you're thinking of and you're like, okay. And you want to be doing it kind of right before uh, your opponent's making contact with the ball as it's right before they make contact, you want to be split stepping and then you're ready for the ball from that moment. Right. Um, the other thing I was thinking about when you mentioned kind of watching, um, watching and being aware of what's going on in terms of a point is when your team's hitting the third, um, one thing I see a lot of people do is, you know, let's say Casey, you and I are on the same side and you're hitting the third. Um, oftentimes I'll see, you know, I would, I'll see the person who would be me, your partner that's not hitting the third, just blindly crash the kitchen, which, um, in my opinion is not the right play. I see a lot of people do that. Um, and just pray and hope that the third's good. Um, what I, what, what I think people should do is I will sit and kind of like, I'll start creeping to the kitchen, but I'm kind of yeah. sidestepping up there watching exactly what you're going to do. And then I I'm watching the ball come off your paddle. And if it's a good one, I'm crashing fast and I'm going to get to the yeah. kitchen. And if right. you hit a dipper, I'm going to be looking to poach and, and, and go after it. Uh, but also what it allows is let's say you leave the third a little high I'm not just, I'm not a sitting duck at the kitchen waiting, <laughs> right. waiting to get crushed with the high, with the high third. Like if I'm, if I'm kind of like still hovering around the midcourt and you leave a third really high, I'm still alive. Like I can, I can still dig stuff out from there and make my way forward. But if I'm at the kitchen line, that's a much, much tougher ask on a, when, yeah. you know, when they're hitting a fourth right at you. So for sure. Yeah. When I see players just blindly going to the kitchen, it's like, <laughs> just, just kind of creep, wait, watch. And crash if it's if you see it's a good one. And the more you watch it off your uh, partner's paddle, the the quicker you know the more aware you'll be on whether it's a good third or whether it's a high third. And then you can right. go. But just to blindly go, I think gets a lot of people in trouble, and you lose a lot of points like that right out of the bat, right off the bat. Yeah, you're not really like intimidating or scaring anyone. You're just making yourself so awkwardly vulnerable that even if yep. it is a good third, they're like, "Why is he's already here? Okay, I'll just easily go over there." Exactly. Versus there's but, like. Yeah, if, you, if they see me creeping and then just crashing, they're like, it, like you said, on that on that fourth, it creates a lot of pressure to keep that ball down. Yeah, yeah, right. And then they're having to make the decision mid-contact and be like, oh, no, I'm already committed to something and I can't pull it back, which is, that's the perfect time. It's similar with uh, the way we kind of like step close to a ball. It's like, if you're able to like 
we call it slow to fast, right? So I'm processing slow to fast. I'm getting information. And then I attack once I see yep. what I need to do. If I'm on offense, like I'm waiting for the Quick clock burst. or see it. Yeah. And then I go get it versus yep. fast. And then I have to slow down because I made the wrong decision. Yep, so that's exactly. a, it's good to know that that's like, it feels like that was be the same thing when I'm watching the third. That's good. I'm like, okay, don't go just try to be the tall guy and go take everything like really evaluate and maximize. Cause I might have to sit back and scoop and reset until I have the right chance. Yep. Cool. Yeah, Let's like talk that. strategy. This is Ugh. fun. People, I think people I are going to love this. People are going <laughs> to love this. Uh, but let's let's we're, we're we're cruising on this thing. Let's I did want to get into um, we've been bouncing around all over, of course. But in terms mm. of results, U.S. Open, um, we had triple crown for Ben, which the singles was probably the probably the closest to not getting it. Had a big battle with J Dub, um, and gnarly. one thing, yeah, it was a great match, and. Uh, felt bad for Jada. He had a couple match points in that second game. I think he was up 10-8. And yeah. uh, one thing, win or lose for Jada, my one takeaway from that is, to me, and this might sound dramatic, it might sound whatever, to me, just watching the match, watching how Jada played, he's there. Like, he's there. It's a, To me, it was kind of a little bit of a changing of the guard, even though he lost. He's there, and he's... He's fit. He's going to be, and he's young. He's going to be relentless, and he's only getting better. Um, so to me, it was like, okay, this kid's, this kid's doing it. He's uh, he's not going anywhere, and he's only going to get better. So yeah. um, it was really cool to see. It was it was a bummer to see him lose that match because I thought he, I thought he played better for the majority of that match. Um, but at the same time, got to keep his head up because. One, it's, it's a good learning experience for a young guy and kind of that first, you know, his first U.S. Open final. So, yeah, uh, great learning experience, and he's going to get better from it. And really cool, really cool to see him kind of take his game to the next level in singles. And, of course, he's had great results all year, so it's not a huge surprise to anybody. Right. Um, but to me, to see him in that moment and to see him really, really own most of that match, of course he lost, and Ben, ben came out on top, and Ben earned it. Um, but to me it was, okay, this kid's here and he's not going yeah. anywhere. He's only going to get better. Yeah. I think you could, you could feel that too. Like what confirmed it was the way that the match ended and the relief slash cheer and like yell that you could kind of see like Ben had you, he was like, this kid's getting close. You could just feel it because yeah. you could see yep. the whole 100%. match, you know, hundred percent. And it was, it was huge for both of those guys to be like, all right, like this is a real, like. I, I wouldn't say, what do, what do they say? Uh, uh, usually it's for good and evil, but it, like a, a nemesis. But I think that it was a real, like there's going to be some battles for a long time against those two guys. And what I was really impressed with the j was like the hands, the hand speed battles, like the way that yep. he dominates those is like, he's just a savant on the court when it comes to the hand speed stuff. I'm like, dude, he is insane. And he's just so calm and upright all the time. And like, and this kid is in complete control of himself at the line like that. It's so cool to watch. It's really inspiring to watch, like just his body language and how he flows. Yeah, I'm excited. His hands, for him. His hands seem to have have gotten faster, and I think a big piece of that is he's more compact than he has been in the past. Like his his um, less follow through, 
He's just mm-hmm. very tight with very tight with all his volleys, and uh, that helps hand speed. Like I think even if you have world class hands, super fast, if your swing's a little too big and you have a little too much follow through, you're going to be in trouble. So yeah. I've seen him do a really really good job in terms of making his making his volley more compact, especially when he gets into hand battles. And um, I talked about this a little bit on the live stream and the commentary. Um, it's often why you see players have two hands on the backhand volley volley wise. Um, it keeps your it keeps your volley really short. Like you can't have a big follow through with your right hand if your left hand's holding it back. So it forces a really tight compact swing, which also equals faster hands. So yeah. that's why you see that sometimes. It makes sense because that's like without anyone saying that, that's what like I was trying to piece together. I'm like, well, because now everyone that I play with, they're all like, now everybody just has two handed backhands, and I'm like you can see how much more it keeps you tight and the recoil is there's just like less time wasted, right? You're just yep. already ready to go right back into the next ball, which for me, I'm like, I'm like throwing my wings around all over the place. It's crazy. Totally. So in terms of uh, the women's title at the U S open, you had Catherine Parento and Leah Jansen take, uh, take gold over Irene Tereshenko and Andrea Coop, my BLQK teammates at Major League Pickleball last year. It was cool to see them play together and not just play, but play real, really, really well. They beat Callie and uh, Lucy, which I live, I did commentary on that, on that match. And I did not pick Irina and Andrea, sorry, ladies, to beat Callie and Lucy, but they did. And that's a, that's a big result. Really, really good result. And then just fell short to Catherine and Leah. Uh, big props to them. It's Catherine's second U.S. Open title in a row in women's. And uh, I believe Leia's first, which is awesome. Fellow Franklin family member. And uh, yeah, good stuff. And then uh, mixed, um, Tyler Lung and Jesse Irvin fell short to Ben and Anna Lee. Nope, Ben and Simone. Ben and Simone. Re, uh, reunited. And they were able to pull it out. Uh, but big result for Tyler. Um, I think probably his, uh, probably his biggest medal in a while, which is cool to see. And uh, Jesse, Jesse's consistent. Whoever she plays with, she just keeps getting results, which is uh, which is which is great. Just shows how solid she is. Um, upcoming, we've got the North Carolina PPA this upcoming weekend, along with the St. Louis APP. I believe the St. Louis APP is a bigger tournament in a couple respects. I think it's a bigger. I don't don't quote me on this, but I know it's 100k. It's listed as 100k, but I know a fair amount of that goes to senior pros. Um, it's one of the smaller PPA events, but we've got some, uh, I mean, it's pretty deep on the men's side in St. Louis. You got AJ Kohler, Thomas Wilson, uh, teaming up. You've got JW playing with Dequel. You've got Dylan Frazier and Altoff. You got Kyle Yates playing with Andre, Andre Diescu. You've got Austin Gridley playing with Rob Cassidy. You got Joey Ferry is playing with Ryler DeHart. So it's deep, it's deep. Um, I'm supposed to be playing with Adam Stone. I've got some health issues that I'm trying to clear up, hopefully by tomorrow, or I can't travel. <laughs> hopefully um, tomorrow, you're fine. Dude, it's a big ass. It's, it's been so Ugh. annoying. It's, yeah, it's not fun. If you guys don't know, I've got butt issues. The end. I don't want to talk about it. I'm not happy. I don't, I don't like it. No uh, explanation. Just leave no it explanation at that. You. Just, just, I have butt issues. Uh, I, div- I divulge too much in the pickle pot episode. Please. I don't ever. I want them to delete that episode now. Because <laughs> I was in the emergency room the night before, and Tom was like, "Hey, can you talk about that?" I'm like, "I yeah. guess, sure." And yeah. then I shouldn't. I shouldn't have talked about that. 
<laughs> Anyways, continue. Uh, who else do we have at the APP in St. Louis? We've got Simone playing with Corinne. We've got Jade Kawamoto playing with Andrea Coop. Susanna Barr playing with the Regina Franco Goldberg. We've got Viv David playing with Lee Whitwell, Maggie Ramitz playing with Sarah Ansbury, Georgia Johnson playing with Anna Bright, Michelle Esquivel playing with Todd, with Paris Todd. Also quite deep. Like, uh, and there's quite a few teams other than that that um, are also noteworthy. Uh, PPA is light on the men's side for uh, North Carolina. You got Matt and Riley will come in as the heavy heavy favorites. Um, challenging them will be Tyler Loom, Tyson McGuffin. You've got Colin Johns playing with Patrick Smith. You've got Callan Dawson playing with Chuck Taylor. And you got a new partnership with uh, Julian Arnold playing with Spencer Smith. So uh, this weekend's going to be packed full of cool pickleball, good pickleball, new so matchups, new, new partnerships. Um, on the women's side at the North Carolina, we've got Catherine Parento playing with Leah Jansen, our reigning U.S. Open champions. Uh, you've got Jesse Irvin playing with... Yana Gretschkina, which is that, that must be a new partnership. That'll be interesting because um, we were just saying Jesse seems to be able to get results with anybody she plays with. So yeah, it'll be smooth. fascinating to watch that partnership. Uh, you got Lucy and Callie trying to redeem themselves after that U.S. Open. Lauren Stratman playing with Irina. And then you got Megan Sheehan Dizon playing with Elise Jones. So lots of lots of lots of fun matchups upcoming this weekend. It'll be exciting to follow all of it. If I do go to St. Louis, um, I clearly will not be commentating on any of that matches, any of those matches. But if I don't go, I will probably get my mic out and just talk a lot this weekend, and hopefully give you some insight on a lot of the matches and what I'm seeing and all the new partnerships. And it would be a lot of fun to do. I'd rather be playing, I promise you, and I'd rather my butt not hurt and be healthy. Um, <laughs> But if that's not the case, I will take a lot of painkillers and sit on my little donut pillow here like I'm doing now and, and just talk as much as I can until I pass out. <laughs> that's it. Oh, my God. Just yeah, your that's... reference to what it is. Just on my butt pillow, I'm just painkillers. Just... <laughs> or I'll be just... dominating. I'm either going to be fine tomorrow or I'm on this pillow. <laughs> it's Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the bad news is I haven't played pickleball in the last week and a half because of my butt issues. So yeah. it would be it would be a world class uh, effort if I got to the St. Louis and and uh, just lit people up. It's for sure the one you win though, because you just like zero expectation. You're yeah, like, you go in. Fun. I'm just stoked to not be in pain. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. It's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So that's uh, that's our upcoming tournaments. What else we got going on here? Okay, so we've we've got to ask for you guys a big ask. Yeah. Casey, what would you like to see listeners send in to us? This is so exciting for me because I feel like I'm watching these all the time and I want to, I want to feature as much as possible, you know, the freestyle boys, Ernie of the week, the ATP of the week, like the rally of the week. Like I'm such a junkie for the content in these epic rallies and specific parts of the game that I would be so awesome for you guys to send in, you know, your clips of your ATP, like your best one of the week that you recorded from your iPhone or whatever. I think it'd be so fun to be able to feature you guys as much as possible, do giveaways, giveaway free paddles and whatever we can collectively get. I think that would be so fun. That's, I'm excited about that. Agreed. And we'll, we'll basically create a post on Instagram for that specific, for that specific shot. Let's say it's a, let's say it's an Ernie of the week. We will create a post, tag you. Uh, we'll also put it on TikTok and our YouTube short. And yeah, 
we'll give you a shout out on the podcast as well. So outside of that, though, so yeah, like you said, ATP, Ernie, um, freestyle shot of the week, which I would consider some, some kind of trick shot. Yeah. Because, because freestyle. And then also blooper of the week. If you have a great collision, <laughs> if you fall over the net, if you get lit up by a ball and hit, any of that would you be get jumboed and fall backwards, fall down off a jumbo because you missed it. <laughs> yep. So where you can send those and submit those will be at freestyleboys.com. That'll go to our link tree. And then you will be able to click a link that says submit, submit shot, basically. Um, also, that will be where you submit questions for the Q&A, which we need to collect some more of those. Um, one question we did get was um, some stuff on the conditions at the U.S. Open. And it was, why does humidity slow the ball down? Uh, well, the Franklin in the heat's a little softer, as is, as is any ball in the heat. Uh, the ball yeah. gets softer. Um, but Florida specifically, conditions, it, it was rainy a lot. Uh, humidity was very high, which it typically is down there. Um, and the air's thicker. Like, I remember growing up in Georgia, outside of Atlanta, I would, in the summer, I would wake up in the morning and just, like, walk out to the mailbox, which is probably only 50 feet away, and grab the newspaper. And by the time I walked back in, I was already drenched in sweat. It felt like I was walking through, like, a film of air that was just heat. Um, yeah. So the reason, yeah, the ball plays even slower in, in heavy humidity because, honestly, it feels like the air is thicker, so it just knocks the ball down quicker. Um, it's, it's traveling through humidity. Same in volleyball? Same. Go to Brazil, and you can just absolutely yeah. manipulate the ball because it's so heavy and and uh, it just sits on your hand longer because of the moisture and the heat. And so it's just like the, yeah. the rallies are crazier. The ball is it's tailing and like kind of like, boomeranging around more because you can kind of have it just sits on your hand longer it's just probably the same thing right the ball's squishy yeah. and yep yeah points are longer it's harder to put the ball away rallies are extended which hey look it's super fun for viewers right you have these long points yeah. the gets are insane people get everything back impossible to put it away um frustrating as a player at times right because especially if you're the one hitting a smash and it's not going anywhere yeah. um but wildly entertaining for the fans. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like hitting a sponge. It's just like, bleh, it just slows yeah. down every time it hits the ground. <laughs> no, hundred percent. Yeah. And I do like, I think we've talked about this before, but I, I love the idea of, of different balls for different conditions, having a certain ball for, you know, 70 right. degrees and over having a certain ball that gets really hot. Let's call it 90 degrees and above and a certain ball for under 70 degrees where it's a little cooler and, uh, I think I think that's where we should go in terms of balls, just to get a consistent ball, you know, throughout. How many times yeah. can I say ball like that? Yeah, ball. a lot. Almost as many times as you say, but. <laughs> A lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it would be good to uh, create consistent play. Yeah. But I also like the idea of being able to play in different conditions. So yeah, that's like with... I don't know what I want. I prefer... If I'm being honest, like for me, I like deep sand because it eliminates guys that come from the indoor world that are really physical, but they don't have the ball control. So I like deep sand because it makes them play the like I what I think is the true version of the sport versus if it's a shallow well, sand, it's like, dude, yeah. this isn't even really like beach. Ball. It's like we're playing on dirt. A surface. Doesn't, we, yeah. should, we could have shoes on. This doesn't count. Like I want to be able to feel like it's real beach volleyball, which is deep, Hermosa, Manhattan beach sand. So yeah. I agree with like, you got to play different styles though. We got to play a faster, quicker game when we're on 
a, a, a surface that's more compact. And then on the deep stuff, you got to play a much more like methodical and your timing has to be better and you have to have better shots and range. Uh, it's cool. It, it definitely, they have value in different ways. I feel like I would excel in deep sand with my explosive yeah. vertical and yes. explosive calves. <laughs> well, I mean, if, with, you did, you, with your butt situation, you would just be oh, dominating. I forgot about my butt situation. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts to walk. I, I don't think I could jump right now. Uh, we'd have the little pillow for you in the player's box when we go on the timeout. <laughs> I'm, I'm, dude, I've already thought about this going to St. Louis. If I, I go, I'm going to be walking around everywhere with my butt pillow on the plane. Just like, yeah. they're like, oh, is that a neck pillow? The little like half neck pillow? No. It's Has your butt. butt. It's my butt pillow. Yeah, I know it's for down here. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I gotta solve this. Can't keep talking oh, about my butt. It's the worst. The lingering injuries. You just can't figure out what's wrong. It's scary. They're scary. I feel like this is a good stopping point. So okay, yeah. bye. Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs>